Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, real conversations with actionable insights into what consumers want and why. I'm your host, Andrew Davidson, based in New York. Each year, Mintel publishes its global consumer trends. These are the big global shifts, not just in consumer attitudes and behaviors, but in culture and innovation that brands need to pay attention to now and in the year ahead. We're going to be discussing one of those trends today, and that is what Mintel is calling more than money. Consumers will reassess what matters most to them, affecting not only what they want and need, but, and this is the key, their perception of what constitutes value. We will break down what is actually happening and how it is impacting consumers, and importantly, the implications and opportunities for brands. Joining me to discuss, I'm delighted to welcome back to the pod our trends expert, Diana Kelter. And we have a real treat today as we have a special guest. I'm also delighted to welcome Pam Marsh, Managing Director of Primary Research at Omnicom Media Group. Welcome both. Hi, everyone. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Excellent. Well, please introduce yourselves. Great. Well, I'm excited to be back in the pod. Um, so I am Diana Kelter. I am the Associate Director of Consumer Trends at Mintel. And I have been at Mintel for eight years. And I've been working on our annual trends specifically for the past five years. So excited uh, to talk everything value today. Hi, everybody. I'm Pam Marsh. I'm the Managing Director of Primary Research for Omnicom Media Group. And I've been here for almost 18 years. It will be 18 years in January, and we are responsible for studying all kinds of shifts in consumer mindsets and behaviors, and obviously, therefore, consumer trends on various topics across all kinds of categories and platforms. Happy to be here. Excellent. Well, great great to have you both, and Pam, it's a real honor to have you join us on the pod today. Okay, well, This uh, more than money trend is all about value. Uh, What are we seeing and how did this trend develop? Yeah, so I'm excited to uh, kick off the uh, introduction of more than money. So basically, this trend is really an evolution of a lot of trends we've been seeing going back to 2020, the pivotal year um, that changed everything. Uh, So back during the pandemic, we started tracking this idea of the concept of value shifting. So back in 2020, we had a trend called priority shift. Um, So it really kind of it focused on the fundamentals we always think about with value, price, convenience, quality. But then what were those underlying external factors that were causing consumers to kind of reimagine what constituted value? And that's what a lot, what Pam and I really connected on because I was in Pam's office uh, about a month ago talking about these trends and we just bonded over this idea of joy being such a external factor shaping what consumers constitute um, from what is driving value from what they purchase. Um, So that really is kind of a lot of what we want to focus on today, affordable luxuries, how consumers are balancing their needs and their wants, and even the mental health discussion, how consumers are really balancing all these things. So it really leads to the trend name more than money, because while we know budget's the constant, what are those other factors disrupting it? And joy is such a big one right now. Um, so Pam, do you want to explain what your research was that really coordinated with this trend? Yes. Um, so ditto to nearly everything, Diana, that you just mentioned. Um, for us here at Omnicom Media Group, I would go back just a little bit um, 
to uh, just reiterate a little bit about the research we were doing during COVID and then the whole line of research that followed that, which we ended up calling the new normal, us and everybody else, uh, doing research around the new normal and looking at people's uh, sentiments and behaviors in their new normal as uh, quarantine was lifting globally. Um, from that, we started to see that consumers were really talking a lot about reimagining all aspects of their lives, consumerism as a big part of that. Um, so we, we moved forward in a study that we ended up calling Luxury Reimagined, and that for us was the beginning a couple of years ago. That for us was the beginning of this whole um, entree into it's, it's scratching behind the price tag and it's more than money. It's, more, it's about more than just the, the money that is perceived as the value of whatever that experience or product is across all categories. And we started to see that yes, uh, COVID, but also a turbulent economy and so many other social issues out there were really concerning and impacting people. We'll get to the mental health part later, like you said, Diana. Mm -hmm. sure. um, but consumers all, all over were being uh, heavily impacted by so much and not a lot of it was very good. And with the onset then of inflation in the beginning of 2022, um, people were really beginning to... Um, to, to become a lot more discerning about how they were going to be spending their money, um, especially when they started to compare the necessary items and products against things that were considered a little bit more of indulgence or luxury, I put quotes around that, um, and how they were going to make those choices and decisions about how they were going to spend. The problem is that although uh, credit card debt was rising and people were realizing that their personal finances were an extreme issue. People's um, need for uplift and need for joy, regardless of how that joy was being fulfilled, that was bubbling up. And so there was a lot of tension there and there probably still is. Uh, for people in um, what motivates their purchases and whether it's internal, external, and um, what also defines joy for them, the tactics for achieving joy and what defines that. We could get into a little more detail about that, I suppose, in a, in a little bit down the pike here. But that was like, it was the bubbling effect. So obviously we're we're now you know we're in peak spending season we're obviously in the midst of the holidays uh, Black Friday and Cyber Monday just surpassed records uh, we're past peak inflation but many consumer budgets are still stretched to the limit how do you think this more than money trend is playing out obviously we don't have you know data on that really yet but how do you think it's playing out during this holiday season I think that the trend is uh, exactly as we just spoke about. People are in a real need and want for both uh, spending on themselves in this year of me or rounding out this year of me, and, um, but also in uh, you know, spending on others as well. And when we talk about spending, again, it isn't just on uh, products or tangibles. In fact, we know from some previous research that 
uh, people are, in a way, people are more after and, uh, and are spending more on experiences or products that prove to them or are perceived by them to have longer lasting experiences um, than just that, that quick hit purchase. Yeah. And what I'll expand on in the spending of the year of me, um, what I'm fascinated by is the trend that took off on TikTok, but I think it has gone so beyond TikTok at this point, is the trend around girl math. Um, And I don't like to gender it as just being something women do. I think there's, I mean, you've seen the social media sites probably if you're listening where it's like dog math, millennial math, coffee math. Um, But really at the heart of this, which I think is so perfectly timed going into holiday spending is people doing these mental gymnastics in their head to justify those purchases they want to make, those joyful purchases. So it might be if you're buying the luxury item, you're thinking, okay, well, this is an investment. I'm going to use it 20 times. So then it's really cost per use. You're doing all those math, those math equations, or maybe you're going to say, I'm going to buy this, but for a month or a week, I'm not going to buy that premium coffee. I'm going to make that trade off and the trade up and trade down. So we're seeing people do these mental gymnastics to make them remove the guilt that they might have about a splurge. And then they leave feeling better. They don't feel like they wasted money. They don't feel like they indulged in a way that's going to hurt them long term. Obviously, the hope is they stick to whatever the goal is of trading up, trading down. But in the instant moment, they are going to feel better about that purchase. And then I think there's some innovations. If we lean into what's happening in like peer-to-peer economy or sustainable circular economy, there was a really fascinating company. I think it's in initial investment funding called Pickle. It's actually based in New York and they basically let people rent items directly from their closet. Um, so kind of removing the middleman of like a rent the runway. Um, and I can see that being an evolution of what you might call girl math or this math is you buy that luxury dress maybe because you want and then you figure, well, if I rent it out, I actually might make more money in the long term. So it's another way to justify maybe investment purchases. If there's going to be more services that allow you to be the renter and kind of have your own economy from your closet. <laughs> It is about that trading, trading up, trading down. If I spend more on a brand I've really been wanting to, to, to purchase, maybe I do that, but I do it less frequently, or I could trade down to a less expensive, uh, a less expensive purchase within that same, uh, product category. Um, and I could continue with the frequency at which I've been purchasing prior. So it's, you know, it, it is a real, like you said, um, mental gymnastics. I like that. And, uh, and, and figuring that out. But one thing I do want to, to say here is that luxury has taken on such a new meaning. And for many people, the idea of luxury, again, it isn't just about the price tag. So many people can feel that indulgence or luxuriate themselves in something that isn't very uh, costly, something we and we saw this in back in the Great Recession of two thousand uh, what eight nine twenty ten, where there were very conscientious consumers who were buying even something that a, a lipstick. All of a sudden, if it was uplifting and making you mm-hmm. feel good, 
not about looking good per se, but feeling good. That is something that can also be considered um, and justified as a luxurious buy. So the idea um, in the past few years of reimagining luxury, it's more about that indulgence and uplifting and make and bringing joy. Um, so scratching beyond just the, the the price tag. That's not to say that there's a lot of expensive, uh, you know products and um, experiences that are being purchased. Obviously, there still are and always will be. But I think that uh, reimagining this idea and buying for the sense of joy has sort of opened up the aperture to allow so many different categories, uh, products and brands into um, the perception of a, a luxury marketplace, if that makes sense. I know we bonded over the term um, dopamine. Uh, dress like absolutely. Dress. I was just laughing about that before. Yeah, yes. I mean, we said that, yeah. and we both had that light bulb moment of we both have been tracking that of like dopamine dressing, dopamine decor, dopamine beverages. Like it's just that's it was exactly what you're saying. People looking for that boost through the purchase they get. So it's very much not just transactional anymore. It's what's what's that emotional element I'm going to get from this purchase. And so I'm definitely continue. I mean, this is something we've seen since the start of the pandemic as well. Um, I think it kicked off with lockdown when we didn't have those traditional experiences to bring us that sensory value. So we saw people turn to traditional sensory activations like candles, fragrances, touch, feel, sound. And so that trend has just continued um, where brands are having fragrance launches um, and they're doing candles. Like, And I know Bath and Body Works, you both are in New York, so maybe you saw this activation. Apparently they created a 10-foot candle in Herald Square Park um, to coordinate with their annual oh. candle day. Um, so apparently they've made this a holiday. Like every year for the past 12 years, I think Bath and Body Works does this big sale um, where their candles are significantly discounted and people turned it into an experience. And I think that's a great example of it's yes, the heart of that is a sale and a discount, but they've made it something so much more. They've made it an experience. They've made the Discounting candles. That's the key thing. Yeah. They turned it into something people kind of like look forward to. And what they're buying is joy. They're buying something that's going to uplift them in their home, um, give them a holiday fragrance. And it's an accessible luxury. Yeah. And it's an affordable joy. Yes. For many people. Yes. Um, And it's it's interesting because it was for a long time this idea about... um, this idea about like uh, shopping therapy and right that's a term that's been used for mm-hmm. decades and it's not so much that anymore because we found from recent research that for many people many people it's not so much about that the joy doesn't come necessarily from that quick hit dopamine purchase but it's the perception of the longer lasting, as we're saying, experience that 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 quick hit purchase is going to provide and what people and that's what motivates uh, for many to pull the trigger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you, you know, just going back for for one moment, uh, it was interesting. You mentioned about during COVID, people were home more. They weren't there was a pent up demand for experience in real life, mm-hmm. which wasn't able to happen. And so, um, you know, we we saw in our COVID research that uh, 
home decor, home improvement, a lot of categories surrounding the home because home be- did become the hearth. Um, we're, they were benefiting in a way, if we could say anything benefited from COVID, it's sad to say that, but we saw certain categories that were doing really well. And then once people, you know, it was like being let out of cages and people were going to those uh, other out of home experiences and then inflation came. Mm-hmm. And it was like put a you know put a kibosh or a lot of discerning decision making on the parts of consumers um, about you know what they could spend on or what they should be spending on. And it's interesting because I you know some interesting themes that you or you both bring up you know scra- I like this idea of scratching beyond the price tag I think that's an interesting uh, term that you're using there Pam <laughs> and the, and this do- the idea of the dopamine hit is now as someone who's thinking from a of, I often think from a financial services perspective and a credit perspective that obviously has a that raises a few red flags I mean obviously you mentioned Pam the the credit card debt we just surpassed a trillion dollars in outstanding credit card debt i mean we don't have too many data points from the holidays but one that i did read recently was that you know buy now pay later was up over thanksgiving weekend versus last year so Mm -hmm. you know a lot of speculation that was exactly something that was very a covid fueled trend and there was some speculation that it might fade away obviously coming through so far this holiday period very strong um so obviously um consumers continuing to fuel yeah, exactly what you were talking about, looking for those uh, dopamine hits and uh, and looking for other types of value. Uh, Andrew, I was just going to say the buy now, pay later, that whole strategy on, on behalf of uh, advertisers, marketers, um, it also aids in a way, um, it's almost, it, it, it makes the consumer, it lessens their stress. That's how I'll say it. It lessens the stress of spending, of buying, of purchasing, when back here in the back of their head somewhere, they know, should I be doing this? Should I not be doing this? Um, and hearing th- strategies like that, it reduces. It's almost like, it's almost as if the marketer or the advertiser is walking that walk with their consumer and making it, you know, making it a l- little easier to make that purchase when times yeah, are tough. Yeah, just might just push them over the edge and, and make them make that purchase. And, you know, that's, that's been proven out in the numbers. And, you know, that's why the retailers... Um, Love it so much. Um, yeah. All right. So I, t- I thinking of that and thinking of the holidays, there were these two descriptions of the consumer that surfaced in recent weeks that I thought were really interesting in, that surfaced in the media. I wanted to get your reaction in the context of this more than money trend. Uh, so the first word is choiceful, um, which according to CNBC was used 15 times in company earnings calls recently and is actually how Walmart CEO Doug McMillan described the average consumer essentially trying to cut back on spending but still willing to splurge on what's worth it. Um, And then the other, slightly different take on it is uh, the concept of doom spending and the idea of spending money to alleviate the worry of, you know, economic distress, geo- geopolitical concerns, uh, and just sort of living for the moment, uh, that dopamine hit. You know, what's your take on the use of these descriptions? I think they're spot on with everything we've been talking about within this trend, especially choiceful. I think it aligns with the fact that um, there are so many brands. Consumers are really overwhelmed with app 
options nowadays. If you look back, like they're getting hit from their social feeds, from being in store, from peer recommendations to, I mean, they just have too many options that of course they're going to have to be choiceful. Otherwise our home, we would all be hoarders if we weren't choiceful anymore um, because we would just have too many things. Um, so I definitely think people are looking for a couple of different things. I think we are, we also are in a time, we haven't touched on this yet, but we're in a time of like dupe culture um, where especially we're seeing um, people to, like companies say, this is a dupe of a luxury product. It works just as good. And people are becoming a little bit more fine tuned to where that dupe is actually a, a buy and where it's maybe not going to hold up. Um, so some brands are kind of revolting against that. Like I know Lululemon held an event where they try, they made the case to prove their pair of leggings is going to be better in the long term than buying these dupe leggings or We've seen some beauty personal care companies really challenge dupe culture. Um, so I think it goes into the choices, consumers being choiceful, like where, and it goes back to everything we were saying at the beginning, where they are going to make those trade downs and be like, I think this is going to serve my purposes. I don't need the big brand name. And then where they're willing to trade up and make that investment. And I think that kind of equation is what's creating this choiceful consumer of, you know, making those decisions about um, where, what brands are going to fit into what bucket. And so I think brands really have to be understanding their audience more than ever um, to know what to align with that vision of, if we're catering to a budget consumer, let's lean into that and get, make the most of this trade down. But if we're going to cater to the trade up consumer, let's really lean into that. Yeah, if I could just add one thing to that, we uh, we did some other research that was um, commerce or e-commerce uh, focused. And without going into the details of that, one of the very interesting findings pertains very well to what we're talking about right now. And that is when a consumer, it, this whole idea of trading up or trading down when it comes to a brand, right? A brand that's either a private label or a store brand versus a big brand that uh, so, that somebody uh, would, would like to be buying. There are certain categories, so whether it's a high investment or a low investment um, category where people are more open to trading down on brands. So for example, we actually found that something like beauty uh, care um, was a more high investment category for many than small electronics like great headphones or, or such. And that is because these products touch you, touch your face. And so it's much more of an investment. What happens if you are tried, you have a brand that's tried and, and true uh, to you and the, the consistency and the, 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 the production of the product, the way it looks, but mostly the way that it interacts with your skin. If you know that, you're probably not going to be trading down just because something is perhaps less expensive. Whereas the quality, perhaps in another category, you could still achieve that. It's just, it's, it's a lower risk, lower risk category. So it's this, this idea of what is perceived as a higher or lower risk category where you see a lot of those decisions, uh, you know, trading up, trading down, saving money by buying a lesser known or what have you brand. 
I, I did find it interesting that a lot of what we're talking about is something we might be talking about in the midst of a recession. And we're not in a recession. And that obviously just shows you to the extent to which the consumer is still um, feeling stretched regarding, regardless of some of the, you know, the positive trends on inflation and, and unemployment and things like that. Um, so let's dig in a bit more then. I, obviously, you brought up this idea of affordable luxury, affordable joy. You know, how, where else, how else are we seeing this, you know, play out? Well, I, I can say one thing I think is fascinating. Um, so Yelp just released their 2024 like food trends. And I believe they base that on searches of what people are searching for in their food service um, uh, review or kind of how they use Yelp to guide them. What they revealed was caviar was going to be one of the trending uh uh, items people are looking for from food service in 2024, um, which aligns with a lot of trends we've been seeing around caviar. Um, so Pringles, most well, kind of well known, they did a collect collaboration with the caviar company um, not that long ago. So bringing caviar to the home, it was like a collection you could order of pairing cream. Pringles with these different caviar options. Um, and it catered to this high-low trend where it's like a very affordable everyday item like Pringles being paired with something um, that has the more luxury element to it, caviar. And so I, I always just find it interesting when you hear we're in inflation and on the brink of recession and talk about recession and then something like caviar is trending it makes your mind go what <laughs> like how does that make sense but it kind of does when we think about everything we've been talking about and i think especially this trend is kind of when you think about the youngest set of consumers because that's who i see kind of driving a lot of this caviar trend um caviar trend mm-hmm. is adulthood moments are pushed off. They aren't buying the home. Like, just like we saw with millennials, Gen Z isn't going into home ownership immediately. All these things, like marriage and kids is still put, pushed off. So they're finding these everyday moments of adulthood. And I'm sure for a Gen Z or caviar represents adulthood. It's something you thought of doing as an adult. And so they're kind of reframing what adulthood looks like through these luxury moments. Like maybe they're having a dinner party that's very casual and it has Pringles, but it's a signal of adulthood to them. Um, Or then they go to a restaurant and have it in a more premium way. But I think it really connects to uh, shifts in adulthood. Yeah, I would just uh, read on the heels of that. We're just embarking on some new research, which is looking at different, without revealing too much, it's looking at different aspects of life where society has, where there have been like norms that have been developed, benchmarks or norms, whether it's like you just mentioned, Diana, certain milestones in your life stages, right? So it's uh, your your career or buying a home, having kids, getting married, like the tra- very traditional norms that have been placed. We're doing research that looks at these aspects along with other aspects of where norms have developed about beauty standards or financial you know, success standards or body image and where people feel they are on that. Are they above par, below par? Are they the norm? And how do they feel about that? But to the point you just made, it is true that people are putting off and not by choice necessarily to reaching those milestones, um, whether it's thrusted upon them because of their personal finances, because of credit card debt. And we see a lot of this certainly with younger cohorts. Um, and so they have enough money for a wonderful 
European vacation or a great trip to the Caribbean or, um, or wherever, wherever that is, because they probably have resigned to the fact that they're not going to be able to reach that milestone anytime soon. They have some money, not enough to make that big um, milestone, but they still need to feel some type of uplift. Yeah. So they're using it in other ways and they're, they're okay with that. And I, I was thinking the whole conversation here with you guys that cognitive dissonance, oh my goodness, right? The whole psychology like theory of cognitive dissonance is so played out in the past few years. People justify what they need to so that they can feel good in whatever mm-hmm. that behavior is. And so whether it is, whether cognitively you know it's a bad thing to be doing, you have that emotional side that needs to be okay with that. And somehow you can justify that you bought something because it's serving another purpose beyond just that that immediate purchase. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it brings it, it kind of brings it full circle to value, isn't it? It's what that value is to you personally. Yeah, um, it's a perceived value. And um and the perceived value could be the same value regardless of, in a way, regardless of your household income. Yes, the traditional way that we think about value has been that price tag and, and, and the, the normal way or traditional way that we speak about luxury or that we speak about affording, uh, you know, or indulging or what have you. But, um, you know, it's this more internal motivation, not external motivation for that purchase and for the value one gets out of it. And like I'm saying, it's, if it's an internal, if it's an internal uplift, for example, and somehow you're feeling that joyful moment, it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, where you're from, how much money you might have. In that moment, sometimes there's that crossover, there's that commonality of how one perceives the value of something for them. We've briefly touched on the idea of um, convenience or accessibility or um, things like that. And sometimes those are the, the attributes of, an, of, of a product or a brand or an experience that reign supreme in the mindset of the consumer about what is luxury or what is premium. And so, and we found a lot in the research that we had done uh, that that luxury reimagined research just on the heels of COVID, that many people were actually defining luxury as time. Time is a luxury. Yeah, it it was very interesting. I can't even tell you. I think it was three quarters, let's say, of, of all consumers who were saying, "In what is luxury? You know, what constitutes? How would you define? Blah blah blah. Time is luxury." And we don't know what will be tomorrow. We touched, Diana, you touched on that a little bit before. There are wars. There's the environment. There's all kinds of, who knows? There was a pandemic and COVID's Mm. still unfortunately with us, not to the same degree as in 2020 or 2021, but who knows about tomorrow? And so it's this idea of make the most of one's time in the here and now. This is beginning to sound a little like touchy-feely, but the point is that for many, time is luxury. So if there are experiences or if there are products or brands that are 
um, making it, it uh, more convenient, making your life a little easier, saving you time, whatever this is, giving you yeah. two things at the same time, yes. making you feel two ways at the same time. That is premium. That's luxury. That's that it makes a lot of sense, and it, it definitely is more than it absolutely does. And you see that coming through in some marketing message, whether it's saving you time, whether it's making the most of your time. Like you say, it's definitely more more than money. Yeah, yeah. What are the challenges and the opportunities then that this more than money trend presents for brands? Uh, maybe you could each speak to one challenge. And one opportunity that could be a you know a, a, something that our listeners could take away. I think that um, you know we didn't really talk about this, but I do think this could be and, and actually is could be and is a challenge. So for brands that are truly considered luxury brands, whether it's a luxury auto or a luxury fashion brand, brands in the traditional sense of where it is about that price tag. Right. The idea, though, that they are very much wanting to and needing to appeal to a ton of consumers for whom the price tag is a problem, as we've been talking about. So in order to widen their consumer base and be and be more inclusive and attractive to um, to consumers who um, need to perceive that that brand in a different way, to perceive it in a way that the value they're getting is beyond just that heavy duty price tag to make it just so that they could justify the purchase. Their marketing message and creative ha- has to be done in, in, in such ways. However, there is that entire cohort, there is that entire constituent of consumers for whom there is still not a problem to purchase that heavy price tag. There is no inflation. There is no recession. I'm that, that mentality. And so it's about not alienating your consumer base who have been loyal to you and have helped you in a way build that lofty brand, but yet appeal to, to uh, other people uh, who are coming from different uh, backgrounds and different mindsets. So that's a challenge, I'd say, that we see. I see a challenge uh, for brands right now is really fitting into the routines consumers have. I think that's the sweet spot every brand has to kind of get to build that loyalty. And I think the struggle is routines are in such flux right now because Some people are still working from home permanently. Some are finding that hybrid. Some are being told to come into the office more. Um, So I think because routines are in this state of um, a hybrid state where everyone's kind of rebalancing, and then that is on top of the routine shift we had during the pandemic, it's a struggle for brands to know what angle is going to make them click Um, because everyone is kind of constantly changing up their routine. Um, so I think that's a struggle, but where I see an opportunity for brands is prioritizing aesthetics. Um, so really, I think a bold packaging or the formation of a packet or a product, um, thinking about how something might be more inclusive just by its design, um, can really be something to differentiate. 
And it speaks to all these things we've been talking about. It might deliver functional value if it's kind of designed with that inclusive intent, but it might deliver joy. Um, and it's something that you don't need to necessarily reinvent the wheel, especially if it's like a limited edition package. Um, but I love every year I read Pinterest predicts trends um, and they just released theirs this morning and they're all aesthetic, like they're all about aesthetics. So I think it's a big opportunity for brands to play into what aesthetics are trending and what's going to capture uh, an audience. Yeah, I, I just it's a point to something you just mentioned about functionality versus aesthetics, right? Function mm-hmm. aesthetics. Mm-hmm. For many, though, the idea of something that functions well and that lasts a long time, and even if it's th- the aesthetics go by the wayside, um, that idea, though, of functionality is some is a source of joy for many. And so, again, it's this whole idea of reimagining um, the definition of joy and what that means for many people. Um, but also, it's the idea of if, if ever there was a time to really know your consumers and to know them, and it, this might sound crazy, but to know them individually, to know them on a very micro level and to know them from um, a place of, um, you know, to, to, to show empathy and emotion and to really understand your consumers. And it's not, cohorts are minor cohorts, mini cohorts. There are so many segments of people within a larger segment. And so it, it's not like one size fits all with, and we know this, that is a challenge, but it's so important to be able to really show up in the right place, the right media for a brand to show up in the right place at the right time and in the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, is is so unbelievably important. I think that's a great way to end our conversation. I think we've, you know, I think we've sort of had a thorough discussion about this trend more than money, and yet I also feel like we've just sort of scratched the surface, of course, on what really there this is really all about. Yeah, so just you know, three things that really resonated with me. Obviously, it's all about value, and you know, I love. Pam, when you said scratching beyond the price tag, I mean, this is the, you know, it's looking for creative ways to add value. Um, Obviously, that helps a brand stand out, whether it's experiences, new product benefits, features, new new types of benefits and features, um, all of that. Obviously, this discussion around affordable joy and affordable luxury, I mean, obviously applies to everybody, everybody, regardless of their spending power. And I think that's just a very useful lens through which to look at the, the landscape in terms of developing campaigns, in terms of developing new products, you know, particularly as obviously consumers need to escape from some of the, the negativity that surrounds them in the sort of broader macro environment. And then the third one that resonated with me, I'd love this point uh, you were making really about, um, you know, luxury being time. I thought that was, you know, I think that's fascinating. We, I couldn't get over it. We couldn't get over that. Yeah. I'm not kidding you. It was 78%, or 70-something percent, three quarters, who define luxury as time. Yeah. Yeah. Again, this was a year and a half, two years ago. So right on the heels of COVID, yes. but still. It's a yeah. great fight. It's a great insight. And I think, um, you know, I think that obviously brands that need to 
brands that can find these moments, you know, and, and like you know, and Diana, you mentioned the candle, you know, with uh, bed, um, who was it? Mm-hmm. Bath and Body Works. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's these, these yeah. moments to sort of lean in and add value. That's, that's, those are the brands that are, that are ultimately uh, going to win in this, um, in this marketplace. All right. So, uh, finally, uh, Diana, if you could sort of um, tell listeners, how can they access Mintel Trends? Yes. Um, so if you are a Mintel client listening, I would encourage you to reach out to your account manager because um, they will connect you to all the resources we have surrounding trends. If you are not a Mintel client, but you want to read up on this trend, but in addition, our four other trends we have for this year, if you go to Mintel.com, I believe right on that uh, header page, it'll say download our 2024 trends. If you click on that, you can sign up to get right to your inbox um, a PDF of all these trends. Um, so both approaches, but yeah, if you're a Mintel client, definitely connect with your account manager. Excellent. Well, thank you, Diana. And thank you, Pam. It's been a real honor having you as a guest on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's been a, jo- a joy a joy to be here. Um, <laughs> thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you have a joyful holiday. This is the final episode of Season 5, but don't worry. We will be back next year for Season 6. Uh, and the conversation doesn't end here. Head over to Mintel's LinkedIn and Instagram. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, if you want to know more about Mintel, visit Mintel.com. Sign up to become a member of the free Mintel Spotlight community. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Goodbye for now. We'll catch you next year for a new season of Little Conversation. <laughs>